Hello and welcome to Women of Balls, where I, Katie Balls, speak to today's trailblazers. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Kay Burley. Burley is a Sky News founder member, host of the self-titled Kay Burley Show, and currently holds the record for hosting more hours of live television than any other news presenter. In her broadcast career, Burley has earned a reputation for her at times tough interviewing style, Coming up at a time when there were a few female faces on the news, Labour's Harriet Harman has heralded Burley's rise as a source of jubilation for feminists, describing her career path as totally groundbreaking. So, Kay, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. I thought to start, we could rewind and go back to how you got to where you are, really. And, I mean, you grew up in Wigan. Your parents worked in a cardboard box factory. Mm -hmm. And you left school at 17 to work at your local newspaper. I did. And you credited your English literature teacher for encouraging you to quit your A levels, which isn't what you would wasn't normally quite what, I, what happened. She, yeah, no, no, no. She <laughs> didn't. She didn't do that. What she did was she gave me the confidence to believe that I could do anything that I wanted to do. So I did well in my English language and English literature. Um, we studied Macbeth. I still remember it, and I still remember all the soliloquies vividly. I can recite them to my son. And when I wanted to to not study human biology and sociology and instead um, go and work for, for my local paper, for which I'd done two weeks job experience, she encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't get the job on the local paper, but I wrote to 80 other newspapers up and down the country and banged on the door until one of them opened it. And so although it wasn't the weekly paper that I'd actually done the job uh, creation experience with, it was um, the daily paper, which was even better. And did you always want to be a journalist or was it... Yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist. I've always been nosy. I've always enjoyed storytelling. And I think the two together um, are something that have driven me on over the last... 41 years as a journalist I love my job you know every single day I love going into work and when I drive to work I have no idea which hemisphere I'm going to wake up on the next morning it is a sensational job Sky has blazed a trail for women broadcasters everywhere and men as well but you know I can only speak as a woman and I've found the support and encouragement that I've received throughout both from Rupert Murdoch when he owned the company but now Comcast that they've taken over to be a source of, of delight and pleasure. And as a Sky founder member, I suppose, was it a bit like a startup in the sense that you got to try lots of things that perhaps at a more established organisation? There are more rules? Well, I was um, I presented a programme called Good Morning Britain the first time round. So although Piers Morgan talks about how well the programme is doing now, we were the most successful company in the world, television broadcaster in the world for its size when I presented the show uh, in 1985, 1986, 87. And so I was sorry to say goodbye to TVAM, but Sky was an opportunity that I couldn't pass by. There were just six of us when we first started. Uh, we began in a company flat in Ogle Street in central London and we had wallpaper tables as our desks. We had an Olivetti and a Bakelite phone and we started to recruit people that way and then when the fire service would come in and do their regular checks for fire safety we'd have to fold up the tables put them into the wardrobe and go for a long lunch so that they wouldn't know that we were using it as an office and then we would come back and then we would um, continue to try to recruit people and that's how we got people like Adam Bolton the fabulous Adam Bolton that I've known for 30 five years, Alex Crawford and people like that. 
And as we touched on the introduction, coming up as a woman in that time, there were a lot less women on television than there are now. Did you find it was an obstacle or did you find your gender was something that in a way set you out? I don't know whether it was an obstacle or not because I've only ever been a woman so I don't know how easy or otherwise it was to be a man but um, I've often spoken about the most impressive feminist I've ever known was my daddy and he always told me to have a healthy disregard for the impossible myself and my sister Jacqueline. Hopefully I've instilled that in my son Alexander who's now nearly 26. I certainly found it a challenge at times being a woman. I have worked in newsrooms that have been... um, sexist and at times misogynistic but I've never been a wallflower so I've always made my point clearly and sometimes succinctly especially when I have had approaches that I've not always appreciated I've left the um the person that has done that in no doubt that that was inappropriate and they really shouldn't do it again it may have involved swear words (laughs) what kind of comments have you experienced in uh, well, I've I've been approached. I've had yeah. one guy stroke his finger down my spine when I was at a party, yeah. uh, and I did turn around and say, "If you do that again, I'm going to punch your lights out." I may have used expletives along with that as well. I'm not saying that that works for every woman, but you know that is the way that I deal with it, and it has um, it has merits and disadvantages. And the other thing I I think when you're talking about how you stood out at that time is again something Harriet Harman touched on, which is that you. Sometimes journalism can be described as a bit of an old boys club and you didn't go to university. And on local papers, I mean, often people didn't go to university and still today you go straight into that job. But did you find that there was ever a class issue when you were rising up? Most certainly there was a class issue, absolutely. When I worked on my local newspaper, I knew that I wanted to go on to do other things. I didn't know what it was necessarily, but I wanted to be more than a local newspaper reporter. That's not to denigrate what local newspapers do. They play a massive role in the local community. But I wanted to do other things as well. And so I worked for a radio station called Red Rose Radio in Preston. I would finish on my local paper and then I would drive to Preston and then I would put together something called What the Papers Say where I would ring around all the local papers and then I would do 90 seconds on their drive time show. And the presenters uh, would change day to day and I was once in the back of the studio and they didn't know I was there. And one of them said to the other one, who's doing the, what the papers say tonight? And the other one said, oh, it's Kay Burley. And the guy, the other guy said, oh, it's that one that talks like that, isn't it? She's dead common, that one. And I was absolutely mortified. And this was 40 odd years ago, as I said before, uh, accents were acceptable, really. The BBC had been very sniffy and had turned me down many times for local radio before that. And so I had a big ghetto blaster thing and CFAX on the telly. And I used to record what I was reading from CFAX and play it back via my ghetto blaster and that's how I learned to sort of knock the rough edges off my accent. Am I embarrassed about that now? No, not really because I wouldn't have been as successful which, you know, hopefully uh, some people will see what I've managed to achieve as success and so I needed to to knock off those rough edges. When it came to class, yeah, some people think that because I haven't got a degree I'm not perhaps quite as smart. I know people have called me dim in yeah, the past. Yeah, Chris Bryant. Oh, yeah, there. but Chris Bryant and I get on really well, but it's fine. And, and poor Chris, I, he's been very poorly and I'm glad to see that he's on the mend. But other politicians have been very dismissive of the fact that, they, that I don't have the same qualifications or went to the same school that they did. <laughs> Come into my lair, it's fine. <laughs> You'll get your revenge. Yeah, no one will get hurt. 
<laughs> just touching on that, I was just wondering, in a previous interview, you were quoted as saying that you weren't clever enough to work for the BBC. And I was wondering... I was being... I was, yeah, I was about yeah. to say, like, obviously in these print, when it's used in print, I'm yeah. presuming that was meant in jest. Indeed. <laughs> and Indeed. Is that partly because of... As you say, you applied for things there. And, yes, I, yeah. I, I applied for lots of jobs at the BBC and I was never successful. As of all careers... No, they couldn't afford me. <laughs> As of all careers in front of the camera, there have been highs and lows. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I think in the past, you on occasion have been accused of perhaps insensitivity mm. in handling of some topics. Mm. That's just a Steve Wright one. There was a Peter Andre. And I was just wondering if... Looking back on your career, are there any moments that you regret or would have done differently when it comes to interviews? Uh, You know, I have done, as you say, uh, more than a million minutes of live telly. And of course, you make mistakes along the way. The Steve Wright one is the uh, Suffolk Strangler. And I don't want to go into too much detail on that. But all I can say is that the lady that I was interviewing, who was his girlfriend, I think she's subsequently become his wife, had asked me to ask that question. As far as Peter Andre is concerned, Peter and I, I had discussed with him beforehand what I was going to ask him. Uh, He'd come on to actually promote a book. And I think we were probably both surprised that he cried. I suppose there are lots of other uh, stories that you can point to. But on the whole, if I go home and my family say, oh, you overstepped the mark there, then yeah, I appreciate that. And I will take that on board. If people complain on Twitter, social media, it's much easier for people to complain now than they used to. And when they used to write in green ink from Her Majesty's prisons, then I just, you know, take that in my stride. So we had Emma Barnett on the podcast previously. Oh, lovely Emma. And we were discussing how she often gets, you know, oh, she she goes in really hard and politicians are surprised almost afterwards. Oh. And I was wondering if, if you thought sometimes perhaps it's a gender thing that when women sometimes grill an interviewee I think there's there's sometimes a bit more of a backlash or that or there's more surprise than when a man can do, yeah do I'm sure that's true that? I'm sure that's true and you know I'm often told on Twitter or other social media you know Jeremy Paxman no I'm not and I'm not trying to be Jeremy Paxman I'm interviewing in the way that I feel is the most effective way of interviewing politicians and I think that politicians you know female and male politicians find themselves in the same position as well in fact Theresa May recently said you know She's seen as that bloody difficult woman. But if it had been a man, it would have been, uh, you know, determined and uh, wanting to get the best for the country. We try and give our listeners some inspiration on this podcast or, yeah, or reasons to feel better about, about their own paths. And I was wondering, have you had any absolute work catastrophes? <laughs> Loads. There are so many, I can't even begin to uh, list them. But having said that, you know, my career path has taken me to Sky and I've been there for a very long time. We have had lots of different changes. My my head of news, John Riley, who is a great supporter of mine and I absolutely adore him. He's, all, you know, sometimes he can be tough, but he's always very on the money when it comes to offering me guidance and advice. And he always says that you have to change or die. So I think that's really important. It's very Darwinian and you know you can't stand still and I have I ever been in danger of doing that I don't think so I don't think so I've had loads of catastrophes but I think the thing to do is to not dwell on those and just pick yourself up and carry on now moving to the present day Mm. obviously you've achieved a lot we can see that in the hour toll (laughs) (laughs) are there any particular things you still want want to do that you haven't done yet 
So I see my role, I am, you know, I. people say, oh, you know, never, in fact, it was Oscar Wilde who said, never trust a woman that tells you her real age because she'll lie about everything else. But I'm very happy to blaze a trail for older women in television. I'm 59 this year. I don't think there are, in fact, there are, I'm the oldest female news broadcaster on, on national television. And so I feel that it's my duty to blaze a trail for those older women, but also bring up the youngsters, not just women, but also men coming through the system. And one of the challenges at the moment is the menopause. And nobody wants to talk about the menopause. It's something that you sort of, you know, you're supposed to put a bag over your head and sit in front of the telly watching Corrie or whatever. And I'm not prepared to do that. And so that's my main charge this year I am determined for people to realise that just because a woman is going through the menopause and she might get hot and sweaty and she just looks as though she's just walked through the shower it doesn't mean that she's she's no longer any any good at what she's doing on the telly and you know I might have to have my hair blow dried again but I'm still a formidable anchor so if politicians think that I'm at an age where they can get away with murder again let them just see. Do you think politicians talk enough about the menopause? No, I don't think anyone talks enough about the menopause. I think it's something that we haven't, up until now, have not really acknowledged in the UK. And I think that's because, you know, in in the US, women broadcasters like Barbara Walters and people like that, you know, she was 84 when she retired. You don't know very many older female broadcasters in the UK. And so hopefully I'm flying the flag, <laughs> even if I am a bit sweaty on occasion. You touched on the fact that there's less probably ageing presenters on the programmes who are female. Older. Yeah. Older, use the right term. Um, Whereas you often see older men Mm. on them. Does that mean you personally don't have any plans for an early-ish retirement? Do you plan to... I have no plans to retire. Why would I I retire? I mean, you know, 60's the new 40. I mean, look at Jane Fonda. She's 80 and she still looks spectacular and is still, you know, a tribute to um, not only actresses but also fitness videos. She, She was one of the first fitness videos I ever bought. So no, I'm not planning on retiring anytime soon. I've got, you know, another four years to run on my contract for a kickoff. One of the things that also sets you out when it comes to getting older <laughs> is that you've spoken quite publicly about cosmetic treatments mm. and also about the fact that you've said it's important to dress the part. Yes. People judge you on that. And sometimes that appears to go against probably a strong view amongst feminists, which I'm a feminist. there can be a view which is put forward yeah. that we shouldn't be bothered by our appearance or focused on that actually can be a bit patriarchal. Do you regret the fact that people are so obsessed about appearance on television? Do you think actually it's it's a good thing because people like to see people who are attractive? So I don't dress the way I do or have work on my face or, you know, have some deep root conditioning on my hair. It's not coloured, it's just deep root condition. Um for the TV audience, I do it because I want to look as good as I can for as long as I can. My mother was dead when she was my age. My grandmother was dead when she was my age. My aunt was dead when she was my age. They all had breast cancer. I'm prepared and determined to live my life to the fullest for as long as I can. And so the great Sir David Frost, I used to work for him uh, on TVAM, Good Morning Britain, that I was talking to you about. And he always used to say to me, you need to look the part if you're invading someone's living room. And if you look the part, then they will start to listen to what you've got to say. So, you know, I suppose that that's two sides of the same coin, isn't it, really? I want to look good for myself. But I also think that if you look good on the telly, um, according to Sir David Frost, and my goodness, he would know, uh, people will take you more seriously. 
No, just moving on to some quick fire to Yeah, end. here we go. End quick fire. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, question we've been asking people on this pod. What is your best advice? I feel you should have some good advice for getting a pay rise. Uh, if you want to have a pay rise, you should realise what your worth is and then go into uh, and and have a reason to go in. And You can't just say, oh, you know, I want more money. I want more money because and you need to have your pitch ready. You need to have honed it in the mirror and you need to go into your boss. You need to wait for them to tell you to sit down, then sit down, then tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. Out you go. Do you think you're a nice boss? Would you like to work for yourself? Well, um, you'd have to ask my team, but we all seem to get on very well. We do a lot of fun things together. We often go out um, dancing on tables together, getting drunk and karaoke boxing and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I, I hope I hope that I'm a good boss. And I don't really see myself as a boss. I'm just part of the team. When it comes to social media, you touched on it earlier, you often reply to the criticism. I do. Lots of people do the thing on Twitter where you can just turn off... The mute button. Mute, or you only see people you follow. Oh, right. How dull would that be? <laughs> Does it ever get you down, getting that level of abuse, or or have you got very thick skin now? I really don't care what pe- As I touched on earlier, I really don't care what people think, except my family and friends. And if they tell me that I've overstepped the mark, then yeah. But as I often say, and I want people who are intimidated by trolls to remember this, people who are writing that bile on Twitter will be in their mum's basement in their mid-50s generally, with no hair, with their balcony belly, with a can of white strike next to them, waiting to be called up for the tea. Really, take no notice. In 2012, you said that you might like to give politics a go, potentially standing as an independent councillor. Do you still have any such inkling? I might still be a politician, yeah. Yeah, but I've sort of upped that. Rather than being a councillor, I might want to be an MP. Yeah, independent tig. Oh, well, I can't say which a tig. <laughs> I've always fancied being a tigger, but that doesn't mean I want to be a member of the tig. The members. Yeah. <laughs> and then final question. I just think, what would you like your legacy in journalism to be? That's a great question, and I've never been asked that before. What would I like my legacy in television to be? Um, Failure is not an option. Thank you, Kay, and thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Katie.